Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Bring, bring it Hello and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or email us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com. Hi, I'm Sam Cox, a uh, contributor to Fresh Saints on Twitter and on uh, online, and you can find me at Mr. Sam E. Cox on Twitter. Hi, I'm Russ Golden, host of Cottage Talk, a podcast about Fulham Football Club, you can follow me on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, and also at the show's Twitter account, Cottage Talk. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining me today, guys. Pretty full docket for us today, so we'll just jump right into it. I wanted to start off with uh, something from the North London Derby yesterday. People probably groaning at home uh, because Kevin talking (laughs) about Tottenham. But this is really more about a specific rule and the coverage of that. I don't want to get too nitpicky, uh, but I can't be too vague either because there's only one Premier League uh, coverage network in the United States. But uh, on that network, they continually kept saying that the Harry Kane penalty shouldn't have been given. He was offside first. Yeah, so IFAB, which is the International Football Association Board, uh, weighed in on that. Um, and the law is actually pretty clear on situations like this. So for those that didn't see it, um, Kane was offside in that he was behind the last defender, then was brought down before he reached the ball, and a penalty was given. And so this was covered pretty unanimously, at least here in the States, as being a wrong decision by the referee. But if you actually go in and look at the rules... Uh, It says pretty clearly that in situations where a player in an offside position is moving towards the ball with the intention of playing the ball and is fouled before playing or attempting to play the ball or challenging an opponent for the ball, the foul is penalized as it has occurred before the offside offense. So basically this is just a, it's a very specific rule that seems to be based on the chronology of events that Kane was not called for offside yet because he hadn't played the ball yet. He was fouled before he was able to play the ball. Therefore, it's a penalty. That is the technical rule uh, as established in the rule books. Now, that has brought about potentially even more confusion and frustration now that that has been said and started to kind of disseminate through different people's uh, news sources. But I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts on this because we give referees a pretty hard ride both on the show and in the media on the whole. This is something that they've actually followed to the letter of the law, yet people are still upset. What do you think about the rule and the reaction to it since? Sam? Yeah, I, I was. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, up until today, I wasn't aware of the the sort of statement or the the law from from IFAB. So from from my first glance, I was like everyone else, really thinking that it was offside and that the Spurs were quite fortunate. For me, in my opinion, I still I still feel he was offside. I mean, obviously the the law is there, but if Kane isn't, my question is, if Kane isn't in the offside position. Does Mustafi feel the need to make the challenge if the flag goes up? If the flag goes up, 
Desmond Staffy's stopping his tracks and, and the foul therefore doesn't get committed. I think things like these need to be cleared up sort of early doors in the season or throughout the season, just sort of a refresher for, for everyone you know, who, who aren't um, sure on the rule or aren't as knowledgeable on the rule as, as the governing bodies. As, as I say, I think there's so many questionable decisions, but next season VAR will be introduced into the Premier League and we'll see these types of things sort of find the, the right uh, decision. But as you said, this was in fact the right decision, but we're still having a debate about it. So I think it's just for, for us, we need a bit more sort of education on these types of rules so that these debates aren't happening and that players and fans and, and officials and also managers don't feel hard done by it full time. I'm right with Sam on this because I was not aware of this. And thank you, Kevin, for uh, sending us the information. And we talked about it because to the naked eye, when I watched it, I agree with Sam. I, I had no idea about this. But now that it's been clarified and you, and you uh, helped us learn about this, I would rather them get it right. I know this is something that is not clear because we were not aware of this. But I think it's something that needs to be discussed and VAR or no VAR, I want them to get the call right. So technically they got the call right, Kevin, and that's the way I look at it. And Sam, you might not understand this analogy, but I'm sure Kevin's going to understand this analogy. The tuck rule, Kevin, familiar with the tuck <laughs> rule. Yeah. And that went my team's way, the New England Patriots, because it was this obscure rule. But to the letter, it was the right call. If this is the right call to the letter of the rule, then it should stand. You know, again, the situation should stand the way it is. But I think there needs to be better explanation, if that makes any sense. Do you guys think that the rule should be changed? I, I agree with Russ that it was literally correct. But is it something that, I mean, you both said to the naked eye, it seemed, you know, he's offside, it should be a foul. Right. Do you feel like the rule should be changed to reflect that? Um, yes, to be honest with you, because, uh, again, I don't... Th I don't think it, you know, again, to anyone that watches that, I, I think we're all in agreement that that is, uh, you know, that's offside. So, so for me, I think it should change, but who am I? I'm just, I'm just a football supporter. So, but that's just the way that I'm thinking about it. Just, Hey, Kevin, just like the tuck rule was changed. It actually was changed. Yeah. So for me, I actually think it should change because he, he was offside. Sam, what, what do you think about this? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you totally. I think I, I'm, I was unaware of this rule and how many players were really are, are also aware of this. I think, as as I said earlier... Yeah, it's Mustafi, frankly a miracle that the referee was aware of this. Right. Yeah, if, if Mustafi is aware of the rule, surely he then doesn't make the challenge on Kane and then the flag goes up. So surely if the rule would have prevented that, then Mustafi doesn't make the challenge, the foul doesn't get... Uh, made and apparently doesn't get awarded. So I think personally the the rule should be changed, so that the the you know Mustafi doesn't have to try and make the challenge to try and prevent Kane from scoring. Yeah, I mean, if it was any other player, I'd agree with you. Mustafi may have just fouled him anyway. Um, <laughs> but it's it's a very, it's a very fair point. Um, and, and I think it's one of those things where people often talk about the margins of the game and how easily a thing can shift. Uh, and I think this just goes to show that that's not just on the pitch. It's also in the rules um, yeah. outside of them. So uh, I, I do agree with you guys. As as you guys have said, I also was unaware of it at the time, which which really yeah. illustrates just how, um, 
I don't want to say ill-informed, but how hyper-specific well, the Kevin, rulebook can be. Well, Kevin, how many people were informed with this? We're talking about players as well. I, you know, and again, you mentioned off-air Kyle Martino, a presenter over here in America. He wasn't aware of it either. Mm. Yeah, multiple times. Um, and, and again, it, it's 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 so surprising that no one knew about this that it's equally surprising that the referee did and that's why i kind of wanted to give them credit as well because i will say it was not a flawless performance did the referee do you think the referee was aware of the rule or Or do you think he got unlucky that they they didn't they might have got it wrong in their own heads but then it turns out that they were right for a specific reason it's an interesting point we don't know yeah, we don't know whether obviously we can't say whether the referee was aware of the rule and and in their head at the time got it right or wrong. Obviously, it comes out that that they were right, but obviously other incidents during the game that that didn't go the the right way according to the law. Then mm. surely you can question whether this was a, something that they were they were aware of as well. That is interesting, and and I guess we won't really know that because um, unfortunately the the referee reports aren't released, which would be <laughs> fascinating if they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and for all the people saying that we shouldn't get VAR because then what will we have to talk about? Just release the referee reports post VAR. There will be plenty to discuss. Um, Can I ask could... Sam a question about VAR? Of course. Yeah, sure. Sam, are you in favor of VAR? I'm a big proponent of VAR. I would rather get the call right. It's funny here we are talking about. And I'm saying that I, w- I would want the rule change, but I want it to stand for whatever the rule is. And I want the calls to be right. I, I know that there's a history of, you know, again, the joy of calls going wrong and, and they affect teams. I understand where, where fans come from that because we all grew, that, grew up with that in, in different sports. I grew up with it here before there was, you know, instant replay or how instant replay has evolved over time. So I understand that, but I'm one that always wants them to get the call right. And if it takes a few more seconds, 10, 15, or maybe even a minute, I want them to use VAR. But I know not everyone's in favor of it. I I am in favor of VAR if the decisions are correct, as you say. Last season, um, Saints played away to Watford. Um, we were 2-0 up, and we conceded in the last minute to Abdullah Decore punching the ball quite obviously into the back of the net to make it 2-2. Yep. That cost us two points. This season, again, um, Charlie Austin against Watford again. That's quite, quite an odd trend. Um, we play Watford <laughs> again at home and the ball comes across. Charlie Austin scores. Uh, Mayoshida's in an offside position, but he's not in the eye line of the goalkeeper. Flag goes up. Goal gets disallowed. So in those two incidents, yes, I'm in, I'm in favour of VAR because VAR would have changed the decision in right. our favour. My big question with VAR is... Is I think it's the priority thing about the officials because truly it should be if there's a clear and obvious dis, uh, a clear and obvious error being made in the decision then it could be overturned. But for for things that are still up for debate and aren't absolutes, you still see decisions getting changed. And I think there just needs to be uh, not refresher, but an almost sort of census that this is what it's there for, this is what right. it's not there for. And once they get that right, then VAR should definitely be in football. Right, and you bring up a good point. Sam, because for me, as a fan of any sport, I want them to get it right, but it's got to be clear and obvious. If it's not going to be clear and obvious, you, you can't change a call in my book. It has to be obvious. You have to see it, and it cannot be – has to be 100%. That's the yeah. way I look at it. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Interesting. Well, fortunately, uh, we will have it next season, and then we'll kind of see it from there. Obviously, it had some twists and turns with with its early debut in the League Cup Um 
and it has had some some uh, less po- positive results as we saw in the Champions League a couple weeks back. But uh, right. I do agree that getting it in is when you'll iron out those kinks. It's very hard right. to do so yeah. in non-life situations. Um, next up, I want to talk a little bit about Leicester. We did so obviously last week because the Puel sacking happened right before we recorded. Um, this week, they already have a new man uh, in the dugout, and Brendan Rodgers doesn't pick up a win in his first match. Vardy continues his weird streak of being the starting score for the last four Leicester managers. Just a, a strange <laughs> stat there. Um, but I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts, because when, when it was announced... At least the the football world on social media seemed to divide perfectly evenly between it being a good and a bad hire. So I'm curious to hear what you guys think. I think I think it's a tremendous appointment by Leicester, um, and I think it's important to remember that this is an appointment. I know it sounds odd, but it isn't an appointment for this season. It's an appointment for next season, and they got him in now to make sure that they could get their man. And Rogers also took the job so that he didn't lose out on the job. Um, it's hard, and I think Rogers deserves some respect for taking it on now with Celtic. I think they're eight points clear at the top of the SPL, um, on course to probably win the the treble treble, and again go down sort of as a as a Celtic legend. He's sort of maybe tarnished that a little bit by jumping ship, you know, with nine games left to go in the Premier League. But I think for both parties, it's a it's a good fit. Looking at Rogers, his stint at Liverpool ended quite badly. Um, looking at where they were under Suarez and then the way they invested that money, I'm not sure how much input he had on the players that came in on how the money was spent, but still he commissioned the moves, I suppose, and and obviously resulted in him in getting the sack. He's gone to Celtic, rebuilt his reputation of being a, a very good coach. And I think if you look at the jobs in the Premier League, uh, he's not going to get a top six job realistically, Arsenal just changed manager and got Unai Emery, Chelsea the same. I don't think he goes into Chelsea, even if Chelsea'd sack um, uh, uh, Sorry, And I think he can look at Leicester and look at the squad Leicester have and almost feel he can build something there. They've just built a new, or they're going into uh, a brand new training ground. Everything's up there. Everything's set up for him to succeed at Leicester and almost... Is, is, is a bit of a big shout and it, and it might not come through, but I think he's got one eye on looking at what Pochettino's done at Spurs. You know, Leicester have gone, obviously, mm. a fairy tale of winning the Premier League and, and they've had a few, you know, they've top half finishes apart from the season where obviously Ranieri was, was sacked. But I think he's got one eye on, on building something at Leicester which can, can challenge for European football. And although people argue that, Yes, Celtic get European football each season. You can challenge yourself. I, I'm not too sure that's that's much big of a challenge. And I think the turning point for Rodgers this this season was their elimination from from the Europa League. Had they got through to the next round, perhaps he'd stayed on and and tried to progress into that that competition a bit further. But as I say, I think the squad at Leicester they've got a great mix of youth and experience. Vardy's still shown that he's still got the ability to score goals. You look at players like Damari Gray, Harvey Barnes, who's come back on loan from West Brom. I think the project was too good for Rodgers to turn down at this current uh, this current stage of the season. Okay, very interesting take there, Sam. And uh, I agree with your point that this is a very good hire for Leicester City. I think it's actually a perfect fit between manager mm-hmm. and team. Everything that you said, I think his style will work really well with the players that he has at Leicester. I think it can be almost seamless. So I think over time, this season, it's about just getting him in, like you said, and the next season, it will be his real first season to really put a stamp on it. 
The issue I have with Brendan Rodgers is that I think this was a classless move. Uh, I would I put myself in his shoes. I understand what you guys are talking about. Sam, what you're talking about, that the opportunity is there. You take it. Uh, the way that I am, I'm in a job. I have a job to do. I wait to the end of the season. If the job's there, so be it. I don't do that. I don't ruin my reputation at Celtic. All the people that put their faith in him, he now has tarnished it. And I'm not a Celtic fan at all, but I don't like what he did here. I don't like managers that do this. I just don't. I understand it. Great opportunity. But I think, you know, if he really cared about Celtic Football Club, he would not have done this. And so I, it, it's a perfect fit. It makes sense. He's going to do well. It's the right club for him. It totally is the right hire for Leicester City. I just think it's, it's, um, you know, it's a classless move by Brendan Rodgers. Mm. I did speak with uh, Jim Midweek, who, who is our Leicester representative on the show, about the odd position it puts Philip Benkovic, who is a Leicester player currently on loan at Celtic. Um, and just how strange that must be. Um, and the the reaction was largely that he'll have a, probably a pretty good leg up on getting one of those chances in the lesser team when he goes back. But that, yeah, it's probably going to be a, a weird few months uh, for Benkovic while he's still there. Uh, but an interesting point on on the loyalty aspect of it. I do think Sam is right that, that Lester were probably saying this job isn't going to be available in the summer. And yeah. I understand your point, Russ, that then you just don't go to Lester. Um, but... I don't really begrudge him. I, I think we're at a point in sports now pretty much across the whole where loyalty is becoming more of a thing of convenience than like a true conviction. Um, and would the club move on from him if he hadn't gotten them into the position they are? Surely not. Um, so that, that's just kind of where I stand is, is that loyalty well, is, is a marriage I... of convenience at this point. And as I you say, it. it probably works at Leicester. But I, I totally understand why it would ruffle some feathers. Yeah. No, listen, for me... It makes sense. It's why I can never, I guess, be a manager of any sporting team because, you know, I would be putting the sporting team ahead of my own ambition. And maybe that's not good in another way because uh, Mm. I would care too much. I I couldn't have done that. But that's me. That's not everyone. And uh, but I, you know, again, it's valid reasons from the two of you of why this has happened. The reason why it's happening now. I I get it. I, I just put myself in his shoes and I wouldn't have done it. Gotcha. Well, I, I, like, oh, sorry, I, I quite agree. Sorry, can I just? Yeah, go I for it. Just wanted to say one thing about. I, I agree with that totally because from the Swanson point of view, we've had managers do well and and move on. Not even halfway through the season, at the end of the season, it, it does honestly leave such a bitter taste in your mouth because you think, you know, you feel that that whole period was was almost a lie of the success. I think a right. little bit less so on Pochettino because he was brought in by our, our former chairman Nicola Cortese and they were sort of he was sort of there because of Cortese and, and I have the utmost respect for Poch because when Cortese left halfway through the season, Poch stayed on to the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But the one that gets me is Ronald Koeman. I was gonna just say that. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we had two the two best years I've had watching Saints so far as being a fan was under Ronald Koeman and then at the end of the second season it set up perfectly we're in the group stage of the Europa League um, and then he jumped ships to Everton and with no disrespect to Everton yes historically are a much bigger club at the time weren't weren't a better club than Southampton and for, to see him jump ship at the time 
just leaves yeah. a really bitter taste in, in, in the fans' mouths and almost tarnishes the two years that he had previously because you almost feel like, what was the point? So I understand right, totally. Right, that's my point with Rodgers. You know, again, if yeah. you're a Celtic supporter, how do you feel about the time that he's in charge because he just jumped ship? Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens there um, long term. But again, yeah, Sam, excellent points of, of that kind of bitterness of a manager leaving and, and potentially corrupting what, what happened while he was there, which in Celtics case is winning a boatload of trophies. Um, and, and they probably will still do so uh, come the end of the season this year off the back of what they've already accomplished. Um, I wanted to wrap up um, with this kind of best of the rest concept. Uh, heard the commentary team on West Ham versus Newcastle say that those two clubs should be that best of the rest, uh, or, or at least in that area, uh, outside the top six, presumably because of their size um, and history. But do you guys view that as a fair assessment, uh, that, that maybe the size of the club should be why clubs like that should be there rather than the ones that are currently playing to that standard? I think totally it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter about history or, or size of the club. I think it should be about how the team plays, how the team approaches games, how almost attractive they are to watch, but not totally as long as they get results. As in, I spoke on the show last time I was on about Newcastle. The Newcastle fans would prefer to see them play defensively and get a result against Manchester City than try and play expansive football and, and lose by, by three or four. But I think as a Samson fan who from the obviously not last season and definitely not this season we were sort of dubbed that best of the rest as I say under Ronald Koeman and uh, Pochettino and, and to an extent under Claude Puel we were sort of the best of the rest and that wasn't because we have this fantastic history and we're a massive club it's just the fact that we were playing good football and we were getting good results and we were given the top six and sort of run for their money when we were playing them and I think I think it's quite unfair to say that Newcastle and West Ham are, are this season's best of the rest. I think that's quite unfair on, on a team like Wolves, who have come up this season uh, and, and been, a, to be honest, a breath of fresh air, really. I think they've, they've, they've brought a, a new dynamic to the Premier League alongside Watford, who, who Watford, for me, have been this season's best of the rest. And you can't really say that they compare to, to Newcastle or maybe West Ham in terms of size or history. OK. Very interesting, Sam. I, I have a, a different take on this. And one of these teams is struggling. The other team is uh, mid-table. But if I'm looking at long-term, best of the rest, these two teams, for different reasons, I think uh, have valid points to be the best of the rest. First, I'm going to give you Bournemouth. And then I'm going to say why Bournemouth. Bournemouth, their story is incredible. The size is so tiny for what they've been able to do and for what Eddie Howe has been able to build with ownership to keep that team where it is now, where it currently is, is an amazing story. And I would like a team like that rewarded. So I would love to see Bournemouth become one of the best of the rest because I just think that that's a good way to – approach things the way the way they've done it they've done it in a very hard fashion it's taken a long time to get to where they are so for me not i'm not basing it on this season i'm basing it over a course of time the way that they've actually been able to stay in the league with Eddie Howe, i think is incredible so i would love to see them be one of the best of the rest the other one i i already talked to you guys about that is southampton and i know where southampton is and there's a 
a chance that they could get relegated. But the reason why I think Southampton should be one of the best of the rest is be, one, because I, I, I got to be honest with you. I watched this documentary a few years ago on the Southampton way. It was fascinating how, again, different than Bournemouth, but how you survived the tough times and it got all the way built up to where you are right now in the Premier League. And I thought you were on your way to being the best of the rest, Sam. I, I really did. Mm-hmm. But you kept losing managers, which drove me crazy. I'm going to tell you why. Because I hate that Southampton is used as a stepping stone. I don't like that about your club. It's unfair. And, you know, And I don't like all the players that have left Southampton because of all the hard work that is done at Southampton to bring in through your academy to get all these players to a point, and then they're all leaving. I don't like that. So I would love to see Southampton overcome all that and be one of the best of the rest. Um, A manager be there for a long period of time, and the Southampton way just continues. Nothing against Newcastle United or West Ham United. I just like the stories of these two sides, and I would love to see the two of them be in the league like Everton has for all these years Mm. to be the best of the rest because I think both clubs deserve it. I think they deserve – I don't think this should be about – who has the most supporters? Who has the most rabid supporters? I don't think that should be about it. I think it should be about the club, the fans, and the players, and building this unity. And like I said, you have the Southampton way, and you also have that that um, that unity with Bournemouth. That's the reason why I'm looking at those two, Kevin. Yeah, I thought it was a very strange comment considering where both of them are at the table uh, this season, as Sam pointed out, um, that that neither of them are up there right now and that it is pretty disrespectful to a club like Wolves, although I know a lot of people have different viewpoints on how that team was built. Um, But yeah, I just felt it was a very, very strange comment. Um, I agree. I I think the sides that are playing the better football should be up there. I do understand that that means that it'll change more frequently. Um, as Sam, you said, you, it was you like three or four years yeah. ago, and now yeah. it's decidedly not, despite uh, <laughs> Russ's wanting for you to be, which is nice. Um, so I, I think that's the thing, is I think people want for there to be an established team outside of that that isn't continually changing, that you can be like, Newcastle are big, they're seventh, cool. Yeah. And and then you can maybe start topic, talking about a top seven instead of a top six. Because um, there have always Kevin, been disruptors, but... So, sorry to interrupt. To Sam's point, the team that it really could be is Wolves, though, if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. The team that that has the potential for that to be is Wolves. The way that they're built, the fact that they've had a lot of help from an agent doesn't hurt them at all. I'm just going to say that. When they sign Ronaldo in two years, they'll definitely be, <laughs> be there. Yeah, it's crazy because, again, it's it's funny. I didn't mention them partially because of George Mendes because I think that they get an unfair advantage. Well, I don't want to get into it too much, but anyone could have done it. It just happened to them. Um, so yeah. it's 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 less um, – it's more unfair in the way that it's not fair more than it's not allowed, I suppose. Right. Um, right. But, uh, yeah, I, I think that's really what it is. I, I think the media wants – especially clubs with a lot of people that are also pundits now. I think there's like this pull <laughs> – for certain clubs to be where they quote unquote should be. I think Newcastle yeah. and West Ham fall under that, that umbrella. 
Oh, I think lot. I agree with that. Yeah, and, and I'm not. It's not like trying to disparage them. I just think that, that it's a narrative to try to reestablish yeah. clubs like that. And I think it's why you saw a club like Sunderland get a whole Netflix documentary about them. Is it is a quote unquote big club with a history, sure. and so people are like, oh, isn't it crazy that they went down? You're like, no. If you run a business poorly for that many consecutive years, you're going to go down. <laughs> why is this surprising? By the way. It fantastic. is a great documentary, and people should watch it. And it's much oh, better. I- Highly than, recommend than the um, City Till I Die one, which came off a bit propaganda-y at times. Um, but uh, anyway, I, I just think that that's probably what it's a reaction to. But I, I agree with both of you that if it was this season, it has to be Wolves, but it'll probably rotate again over the coming years, unless they do uh, even more business, like we're saying. All right, we will take a quick break, and then we'll be back with club-specific questions for each of our guests. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. All right, and we are back. Sam, we'll lead off with you talking about Southampton. I feel like this has happened multiple times that you've been on where we discuss you putting up a very good fight against a big club. This time it's against United. Two fabulous goals from your side, Mm -hmm. by the way. Um, But end up leaving with zero points. So I'm curious at this stage of the season... Are you still coming away with positive takeaways? Because it was a very good performance. Young players performing well. That's all very good looking forward. But you're at a stage in the season and a place in the table where you may have come away with it with more fear about the the point tally. So I'm just curious which side of that you're leaning. Yeah, I think going to Old Trafford at this stage of the season, obviously they're unbeaten in the league under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think the performance... Is the positive to things that is the positive thing to take away from it, and I think Saints fans are a bit more positive about it, um, having beaten Fulham in the week. Sorry, Russ, but um, we uh, <laughs> right. we yeah, I think it's, it's difficult for for us because I think Hazen will hit it sort of hit the nail on the head. He said we deserve to come away from the game with more than just warm words, and yes, we're being praised for the performance, and we deservedly should have got a, a point but at this stage of the season 
points of what matters. The, 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 the performance level was fantastic and that will breed confidence. But as you say, points of what we need right now with nine games to go and to have the leads and then to equalise and then still come away with no points is, is slightly frustrating alongside two refereeing decisions which didn't go our way and the fact that, that again, we, we couldn't hold out. But I, I said, I, I put it on Twitter that, yes, there were questionable refereeing decisions, but regardless of who you're playing, if you concede three goals in one half, then it, 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 it sort of sets you up to fail. It, it sets you up to fail in this division and it, you can't really get away with conceding three goals in, in one half. Yeah, and hopefully you'll stay up, and I told you this off-air, that I think you're a little too good to go down and that there are three worst teams. But as I said yeah. at the time, far nicer things have been said about far better teams that have mm. uh, faced the act. So uh, hopefully it turns around. And, and again, as we said uh, a while back, I think you got the managerial selection right. The window yeah. was a little shaky, but you have the manager. So as long as you can kind of su- sustain things this season and stay up, I think you'll be in yeah. a pretty good position next season. Um Another change that's happened recently at Southampton in the last three matches, at least, has been Gunn taking over goalkeeping duties uh, from McCarthy. Curious as to hear mm. who you think is the best goalkeeper at Southampton at the moment. I personally think Angus Gunn is the best goalkeeper at the moment at the club. Um, on on Fresh Saints, me and uh, uh, one of our other contributors, we, we put it out there on Twitter that we thought that it was time for a change in that. And, Rightly so, because Alex McCarthy came in uh, last season and and performed terrifically well. But we thought it was just time to to shake things up a bit, and we got a little bit of a backlash from that, which is uh, you know uh, understandable. But I think personally, Gunn is Gunn is there for the number one spot now, and luckily for us, he's got the the age on his side. That means we can grow alongside him but the problem we have is I think Man City have a buyback clause in his contract I'm not sure how quickly or how uh, the time period they've got to to to, uh, to pay that if they want him back but for now I think he's our number one my worry is and this hasn't really been said too much I haven't really said it too much on Twitter or on Fresh Saint is we had Fraser Forster and he performed terrifically well for, for a period of time he then declined. Alex McCarthy came in, performed terrifically well, and he's almost declined this season. So now I'm now questioning whether this isn't a a personnel issue on the mm. pitch, but perhaps the coaches off it aren't doing the goalkeepers the service because Fraser Forster was. Yes, he had a couple of mistakes in him, but I think there was a talk about being England's number one over Hart. Yeah, the there, yeah, there was there was a period of of games when he came back from a from an injury where he kept seven consecutive clean sheets in a row where a Saints went up the table under under Ronald Koeman so he's not a bad goalkeeper but his confidence all of a sudden was shot um, this season well the past two seasons the atmosphere at St Mary's hasn't been the most positive or the most encouraging so for a goalkeeper when a goalkeeper usually makes a mistake it leads to a goal and fans have been getting on his back and I think he he suffered from that a lot as well but as I say I think McCarthy towards the sort of last few games before being dropped didn't look like keeper he was last season so it's just a, it's just a weird situation with goalkeepers at the moment it's, the time will tell whether the, the same happens to Gunn I'm hoping it won't and I'm 
sort of uh, positively thinking that he won't because I think he's got potential to be a, a very, very good goalkeeper. But it's just a, an interesting thing to see. But I think we'll have to wait and see whether that will come into to fruition. Mm. Uh, also, in the past, um, you've been a little bit critical of Ward Prowse for maybe not developing into the player he could have. He's on a pretty mm. good run of form. Do you view this yeah, as that brilliant. development or maybe just a purple patch for him? I think it's I think it's the development. I think it's the the Ralph Hasenhutl uh, effect. I think he's come in, and fortunately for James, the um, uh, Hoiberg was suspended for I think it was three or four games because he he was a server of the season, and uh, Will Prowse stepped up. He filled the void perfectly well, and, and he's now come into his own and has become the player that I thought he could be. Some some fans thought he was a lost cause and thought he's just a uh, another sort of squad player but I always had hope for him um, as I said to you before I've had the pleasure of being able to speak with him and interview him and he's, he's a top professional um, on and off off the pitch and I think it's great to see him now becoming into his own and showing the attributes that we knew were there um, I think the managerial appointments post Ronald Koeman did him a bit of a disservice as well uh, Claude Puel, Pellegrino and, and Hughes Hughes almost froze him out of the side and then would would um, start him in games against Man City after he hadn't featured for a long time. He sort of hung him out to dry a little bit, Mark Hughes. And Hasenut was coming. He's asked for a reaction from Ward Prowse to fill the void when, when Hoiberg was suspended and he stepped up. And it's, it's, it's great to see the player that we all thought was there start to mm. come in come out now. Yeah, and very good news for England if he continues up yes, uh, yeah. this this current run of form. Uh, coming to you now, uh, Russ, obviously another managerial change um, from Fulham this week as Ranieri uh, departs the club. In the statement, uh, it re- referenced the months to come under Scott Parker. Uh, does that imply that there is not a search currently underway for a next manager and that maybe Parker will get a run at it till the end of the season and then the decision be made? I'm not sure. That would be a very interesting answer because I really don't know if they are under a search for a full-time manager. What I what I do know is that this is the decision that they made for the time being, and I'm sure he'll get the opportunity to win the job because he's in the job. I'm, I'm would assume so. Maybe I shouldn't, but. Uh, well, to be fair, the last time you sacked a manager, you had somebody ready weeks before. So we did. We did. We did. So the fact that that hasn't happened, maybe that implies that he's the guy? I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's an interesting situation because right now what Fulham need is Scott Parker. I know that sounds crazy to say. You've got a manager, caretaker manager, that has very little experience. I believe the only experience he's had as a manager was with uh, Tottenham's Academy. Yeah, you so he. Yeah, so it's not like he has this experience, but what he does have is probably respect, you know, respect of the players. Some of them have have played with him, so I think he walks in with that. He also, it's funny because someone said this to me yesterday on Cottage Talk, he's probably learned what not to do at Fulham Football Club between these two managers, (laughs) if you think about it. So he's had a year to look at what went wrong. So he might have an opportunity to try to figure out what will work. And uh, again, first match today, and um, he said all the right things at his press conference. And I think that is, was the big thing for the fans was, as I mentioned to you guys off air, 
Scott Parker on Friday admits that there has been a disconnect between the fans and the players. And that is the one thing that he wanted to reconnect. That was number one. He kept mentioning, I'm paraphrasing exactly what he said, but he wanted his players to give everything 90 plus minutes for the fans to reconnect them to the club. And that's what I saw today. And that to me was the most important thing was regardless of win, lose or draw, we knew that all the players out there were in it for Fulham Football Club and they gave them everything that they could. That's all I want at this point. And many fans I've seen are on the same wavelength with me. And so far, early days, Scott Parker has done this. But what's interesting about Parker is that it's not just him coming into this job. He actually has an assistant that I think has been a huge loss for Fulham, and that was Stuart Gray. Not many people might be aware of who Stuart Gray is. Maybe you, Sam, because he used to be Sheffield Wednesday's manager years ago. But he was an assistant under Slavisa, and uh, he worked very well with the club in the championship especially defensively. I'm not there in training, but that's what we've been told, that he was really the guy to get Fulham to work well as a defensive unit. He left in July, and I don't think it's an accident that Fulham's defense has been in shambles since Stuart Gray has left. Well, he's returned. You know, he's not a miracle worker, neither is Scott Parker. But the fact that both of them, along with the players and you know, everyone in general has tried to instill this feel-good factor back with the fans, I think is massive. So for me, right now, the, the nine matches left for Fulham Football Club under Scott Parker, it's about finding their identity again, which they lost under Claudio Ranieri. They had an identity under Jokanovic. They lost it. I think they're in the process of gaining it back. Yeah, and that would certainly be good news for a fan base that has struggled at times this season. Um, you mentioned all the off-field stuff, that it all went well. I agree. I thought his press conference was, was handled very well and managerially, which uh, is always a good sign as to somebody's long-term employability in that position. Um, but what did you make of the on-pitch stuff from Fulham today? Obviously, the effort level seemed up, but, yeah. but did it seem like the tactics were working for your squad a little bit better? As you mentioned earlier, uh, it was a lot of square pegs and round holes uh, previously under uh, Ranieri. Well, the big thing, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, is that players played in the proper positions. You had Tom Kennedy central, and you actually saw Ryan Sessegnon uh, in a a position uh, up front wide, and that's where Ryan Sessegnon should be. So players were pretty much where they needed to be, and that was a good sign, but I actually saw – um, Scott Parker's press conference after the match today, and he said some very interesting things. The one thing that he said, first thing was about this reconnecting with the fans, showing 100% that the players did that. But what he also mentioned, the first half, they basically, I'm paraphrasing, they were not brave enough, and they were not taking enough chances to make the plays that they needed to to lead to scoring opportunities. They were... You know, they were in it 100%, but they weren't brave enough. He talked to them at halftime, and it was a completely different team in the second half. They were creating 
a ton of opportunities and they were brave. So I think he had a huge impact on what happened in the second half. I think um, if I have one criticism for Scott Parker, and we talked about this on Cottage Talk, I've already done a show about this match, is that um, Kevin McDonald is one of my favorite Fulham players. He's not a Premier League player. I'm just going to say that. He started Kevin McDonald as a defensive midfielder. And uh, I think Fulham missed someone that has a little bit better of a passing range and, and some more pace as a defensive midfielder that, that's more mobile. He's not mobile. And Scott Parker took him off and put on Andre Frank and Gisa in the 62nd minute. And that's when Fulham started to create all their opportunities. So if I have one criticism of Parker, I think he made the decision too late to make this substitution. But this is his first match in charge. Everything else I thought was great. Mm. But, you know, and again, the one thing that stood out to me, it looked more like Jokanovic than it did Ranieri. Yeah. Um, well, hopefully he, he makes things at least interesting for you in the run-in. Is that just what you're hoping, that, that you kind yes. of get that, that brand back rather than any hope of trying to stay up? Yes. Honestly, I want to see them play. You know, listen, he's got a lot of talented players, and there are two ways to look at this. Listen, we're leaking goals in either style. I would rather them play on the front foot against certain opponents than play – try to play defensive when he doesn't have the players to do it. So for me, I like the approach today and uh, it worked well. And, and uh, I, I have a feeling, you know, it's going to work even better. The more matches they have under Parker, where he instills his, you know, the, his values, the way, you know, what he's looking for. I think, I think he mentioned he's looking for some kind of balance. I think he's looking for some balance between the two, between the Ranieri style and Jokanovic style. And if he gets it right, it could be good because defensively, Fulham are a shambles. But going forward, they're not. But under Ranieri, it just didn't work because he wanted them to play differently. So I think it's a work in progress. But what I want to see is 100% effort the rest of the season and building some confidence going into next season. Yeah, and certainly you'll probably be one of the favorites to come back up with that experience uh, in the championship that you've had of late. Although, as I know you said many times on the championship roundtable, it's a very tough division. And if you take it for granted, it can certainly punish you. Um, all right, now we'll head into Player Watch, where we're going to be talking about players that are quietly having good seasons. Obviously, uh, kind of the bigger names performing well isn't shocking but there always tends to be a player in a team where maybe the outside narrative hasn't caught up with how well they're playing or maybe even the internal fan base so just curious who at your clubs is, is performing a little bit better than people may be aware yeah with with um with Southampton I would definitely say uh Jan Bednarek um for for me he looks like a good player last season he came in because we had injury injury troubles there was a lot of question marks over him because we weren't really sure. We hadn't heard too much about him. We, we'd signed him in the summer under under Pellegrino. It was definitely a, a club signing um, from from Les Reeds with with an eye for for the future. Um, and he came in last season at the back end of the last season and looked like a really good prospect. He was calm on the ball, no nonsense defender, and then for some reason fell out of favour from Mark Hughes and 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 was completely again frozen out of the side. 
he's come uh Hasnut has come in and he's just been fantastic he's really sort of shored up our defense and and for us it's great to see because we were playing a back line of prior to January of Wesley Hoyt uh, Jack Stevens and Yannick Vestergaard, and now Hasnut was come in and been able to to rejig his back line. Wesley Hoyt has gone on loan to Celta Vigo. Jack Stevens has finally been dropped, and now we've got a back line that looks a bit more capable of keeping the ball out, and that with Yoshida, Vestergaard, and, and Bednarek. But yeah, it's, it's great to see Bednarek come back in and and seeing him do so well for his major question marks again over over Mark Hughes's uh, managerial ability apart from obviously obviously the results that we that we saw under him but yeah Jan Benarek has come in and, and been a real breath of fresh air for us he's as i said calm on the ball no nonsense and yeah he's just a great great player and uh, he's really stepped up when we needed a defender okay for me i would say it's going to be Callum Chambers and uh, i know he's a lone player but Callum Chambers Started the season as a center back, and uh, he was not very effective. They even put him at right back, and that was a disaster against Cardiff City. Probably the one of the worst right back uh, jobs I've seen any full player do, and that's saying a lot. He was just not good at right back, and, and it didn't work at center back. So he moved them. Um, actually, it was uh, Ranieri who moved them to defensive midfielder, and it's worked. It's worked very well, actually. And uh, it's he's been a pleasant surprise. He scored today, which is a good thing. And and he was excited to score for Fulham. And even though he's a lone player, uh, he's been one of the bright lights this season. And I think that's been a little bit of surprise coming from the beginning of the season where it looked like he wasn't going to fit. And now he's uh, a main component of this team right now. Yeah, he's played very well. And Russ, I'm sure you recall when I was on your show, I, I thought that Chambers was somebody we could take advantage of and that he wouldn't yeah. provide much an attack. And he has been certainly doing that. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it really seems like he's taken to that well. Kind of reminds me when Eric Dyer was pushed up. I was actually at the yeah. first match where he debuted in central midfield, which was against the MLS All-Stars. Um, <laughs> and he looked tired by about the 15th minute. <laughs> but uh, eventually, obviously molded into at least a halfway decent one there. And it seems Chambers is getting more versatile. Whether or not that's the best for him long-term in terms of his development, I I always feel like as soon as you start stretching players to other positions, kind of limits their potential in all of them. Um, But if if he fully commits to being a midfielder and if that gets him more opportunities going forward, uh, then you know more power to him. But he has certainly taken to that role well uh, for Fulham thus far this season. All right, we will wrap up with match previews. We'll start off uh, with you, Russ. You're going to be traveling to Leicester where you get to face uh, Brendan Rodgers, who we just uh, spoke about a little bit earlier. What do you think we'll see from Fulham in this one? Um, be honest with you, I think you're going to see what what um, what I saw today against Chelsea because I don't think that they're going to play with any fear against Leicester City. They're a good side, but I think that, uh, especially the way Fulham played against them the first time, I think they know they can play with Leicester City, even though it's on the road. And uh, I'm excited for this because I want to see if I saw, if I see the same kind of commitment that I saw against Chelsea. There's no reason why they can't, but it'll be interesting to see if he can build on. I'm talking about Scott Parker, what they put into this one match and turn it into some points. And maybe pull an upset or two, you know, and I think it would be great if they could pull off an upset at Leicester City. And right now, 
I think they have a shot at it, but we'll see. Yeah, and then Sam, interestingly, it's us facing each other yes, here. Yeah. Uh, the return of Pochettino, which always seems to be met with not delight <laughs> by the Southampton fans. You obviously need a win, as we discussed in the Manchester United uh, portion when we were talking about the match uh, yesterday. So just curious as to how you think uh, Southampton will line up and perform in this one. Yeah, I think it's it might be a good time to play Spurs at the moment. Of course, they're without a win in their in their last I think three games. So I know they I think the Saints can probably take um a positive out of, of Spurs defeat to Burnley. I know that we play contrasting styles to Burnley, but for us I think it's it's gonna be hopefully a bit more of the same. I think Haas and Hootles now found his starting eleven, maybe with the exception of Austin for Ings and who knows, Ings might be back for this game. I remember Hasnut was saying a few weeks ago that that's the aim. So who knows, we might see Danny Ings return and that would be our, our full strength size. I think if we can perform to the same levels that we did against Manchester United, then we can give Spurs a good run for the money. But Kane's now had a few more games under his belt since returning from injury. And, and this could be the game where he fully clicks and, and it all clicks. So it's, it's it's never an easy game. But for us, it's the best time to be playing Tottenham in a season. And I just hope that we can still see some of the performance levels that we've seen from the likes of Valerie, Ward, Prowse and Nathan Redmond to, to give it a good go. Um, I'm quite a bit quietly optimistic. I'm probably uh, probably not going to be feeling too optimistic come half five on, on Saturday. But um, yeah, I think with the return of Ings, Mario Lamina could be back as well. That that a full strength side that's growing in confidence uh, will we'll give them a good game. Yeah, you, you bring up a good point, which is that Tottenham are super not in form. And although the fan base has been largely satiated by the 1-1 draw with Arsenal, it is just one point out of a potential nine in a week, um, which has wholly knocked us out of any mention of the title race. Obviously, I think we're now nine points behind um, Liverpool. Uh, so that's 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 done and dusted. But as I mostly said the whole time, we were winning the top four race, not really contending in the title one, mm-hmm. and that has fortunately re become the narrative. Um, but not only is the form a reason why Southampton should be confident, it's that we do still have to play Dortmund midweek. Um, mm-hmm. Do still have a three nil advantage coming off the first leg, which came without Kane. But apparently, Kane's our bad luck charm at the moment. One four straight without him, then. Uh, l- failed to pick up wins in the three straight since um since he returned to the side the bad news for southampton is that Deli ali will probably miss that dortmund match which means yeah. his first one back will probably be against southampton and his presence was sorely missed um in both the chelsea and, and arsenal matches he shows up in, in the big games in a big way probably not how uh we'll be considering southampton although if you listen to pochettino's post-match conferences uh, he seemed much more upset about the loss to Burnley than the ones to Chelsea or Arsenal, maybe because he viewed that Burnley loss as the one that meant we weren't in the title race, and so anything after that was kind of less impactful. Um, but Delhi will probably be back, but there will probably be a whole mess of rotation over these two matches, Dortmund and Southampton. So really hard to say who would be playing. Probably a wing-back rotation from whoever plays midweek. Um, but you'd imagine Kane will still get a run out, even though he's played three consecutive matches since coming back from injury. Um, the, the the really interesting thing, and just something that people should watch the rest of the season, is Christian Eriksen. Because he is probably in the worst form he's had at Tottenham since joining in 2013, 2014? It's been a while. Um, I have long accused him of playing well when we're already playing well and never really lifting us up himself. 
uh, and we have needed him badly the past few weeks, and we have not gotten the best out of him. Also seen some criticism of Sun. Sun doesn't play well when we play with wingbacks. When we have true wingbacks, Rose is very good at tracking all the way back to front, the same way Walker used to be on the right, but that forces Sun inside. And while people complain about, well, Sun loves to be inside, that is less the truth. He loves to start outside, beat his man inside, and then play in that channel. If he's always playing there, there's nowhere else for him to go. Kane obviously occupying the center spaces. So that's a a little uh, fine detail that I feel some are missing. Um, but on the whole, you'd think our squad would be good enough, but you, you're right. You're, you're playing us at the perfect time, a midweek match. We tend to struggle after Champions League matches, as most teams do. Um, and then on top of that, the bad form on the whole. So uh, if I were you, I certainly wouldn't be shy of claiming at least a draw for Tottenham, bias, etc. I'll say we figure out a way to win it, but this match might just mean more to you than it does for us, especially after the midweek match. Mm-hmm. All right, that'll do it for us today, guys. Thanks so much for coming on. If you'd like to tell the folks where they can find you, now would be a good time. You can find me at, uh, at Fresh Saints on Twitter or freshsaints.com. Um, just uh, opinionated snaps and views, uh, news, as well as the odd article here and there. And my personal Twitter, you can find me at, at Mr. Sam E. Cox. You can find me on Twitter, Russ underscore Goldman, and also at the show Cottage Talks Twitter account, simply Cottage Talk. Yeah, and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries. You can find me on Twitter at Kevroff. You can find my fantasy writings at goal and at ESPN.com slash fantasy, the latter of which I talked this week about Mohamed Salah's struggles in big matches and how he doesn't really score goals or assist in them. And then that happened again in the Merseyside Derby this week, which lends a little more credence to it if you'd like to go check that out. If you're a Liverpool fan, maybe less. Um, but you could also check out the championship show, which Russ used to be on a whole lot. Fantastic uh, show put out there and by. And it will be next season. <laughs> looking more likely, yes. Um, with uh, Jake yeah. and Louis and James, who, who put on a great show, and potentially Russ next season, barring some miracle. Um, but anyway, check that out. Check out the fancy articles if you're into that. Check these guys' stuff out. Uh, it's definitely fantastic and worth a look, regardless of who you support. But thanks again for joining us, guys. It was a pleasure as always, and we hope you keep listening. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.